Good morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock, and I'll be your host every Wednesday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Venice, let me tell you guys, I don't know if any of you have ever been there before, but uh, what in a truly an amazing, an amazing, a beautiful, colorful city. Uh, I'm admittedly a sucker for any any city that uh, that has you know some somewhat you know where water's involved, where it's on the water in Venice with the canals and and the bridges and I mean just truly stunning for us. So if anyone that that w- had an idea of going there and wasn't sure about it, I uh, thumbs up a hundred percent. You have to go check out Venice. But something that made, obviously, um, Venice is such a cool place to go and, and one of the more popular destinations. But, but our work there, what we did over the last few days um, as part of the Nahum Seagull Network and the team there, uh, the Malava Malka Saturday night was just truly an unbelievable, inspiring experience seeing all the, 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 the Jews in, in the ghetto um, and in Venice, come together on one night, and uh, with Itzik Dadia and Daniela Javiel and David Farida, the producer of the Malava Malka, just just what an incredible night it was, and and the Jam and the AMs, it was it was just you know all out, just an incredible incredible experience. And on my end, I have to thank obviously my boss um, Nachum Siegel and General Manager Miriam Al Wallach for agreeing to bring me along and. Uh, you know, it was it, it was a work trip, and and there was a lot of effort and work put in months before, weeks before, days before, and uh, it was all well worth it. So if you somehow missed any of those, you could go to NachumSiegel.com. All the JM and the AMs from Venice are available, as is the Malava Malka, and I really encourage all of you to go ahead and check that out. But today on Bite Size, we have an exciting program ahead. Joanna Shebson will join us. In a bit, she has a uh, an interview about scavenger hunts in Israel, which I'll explain a little bit later, but scavenger hunts are so my thing, so uh, check that out. Tova Knecht rejoins us, and uh, she'll be on with Avi Abelo, and uh, that's sure to be exciting. And then Leora Zamek wraps up her Chalabek experience from a few weeks ago, right before the Shabbos Project, um, so be sure to check that out. Four to the door this week. Uh, obviously Venice-related, so stay tuned for that, as uh, that usually happens around the 10.50 hour. More coming up on Bite Size. Here's Et Recode, a time to celebrate, because just came back from Venice, baby, so what a great time it was. Et Recode by Yaakov Shweki. You're tuned into Bite Size right here on the Nahum Single Network. <laughs> Man, la Kunzman, 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 la Kunzman
And that was Lev Tahor's Asher Bara, a little nod to my brother and sister-in-law, who a year ago, yesterday, uh, got married. And uh, actually, that was the first time I ever, I think, grabbed the mic. I was able to kind of start the second dance for them with a little Etri code. Ironically, I also played before in Hashem Elech. So uh, if you need a wedding singer, I guess I'm available also. Um, email me at yoniyanachamseal.com if you'd like me to uh, spice up. Your wedding with a little charisma and energy and all sorts of things. Anyway, I promised you Joanna Shepson's interview about scavenger hunts. So let me tell you something, what scavenger hunt means to me. Uh, when I went to YU, Yeshiva University, and one of my friends is also huge, big into scavenger hunts. He was known in high school to do scavenger hunts around school. Uh, so we had him do one in YU, and it was really just such a, it was like me and like 10 friends, and we teamed up, and it was just such a fun thing, just running around campus, literally uh, during during a day, regular classes, regular yeshiva going on, and got to go to the library, and got to go to the base measures, and do this, and find this, and uh, I mean, scavenger hunts could be could be so fun, and they're thought-provoking, and the riddles, and they get your mind going, it's it's such a good time, so uh, I'm excited that uh, Joanna was able to bring on Tali Tarlow of Israel Scavengers. So uh, here's that interview right here on Bite Size on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thanks, Yoni. I'm sitting here in one of my favorite places in all of Jerusalem, in Jerusalem's first station, as we're watching people bike ride past us. I'm sitting with Tali Tarlow, who's the founder and the brains behind Israel Scaventure. Hi, Tali. Hey, Joanna. Now, um, I think uh, the listeners would be really excited to hear a little bit about what you've done with scavenger hunts in Jerusalem, especially for those people who are planning to come for Thanksgiving, winter break, President's Day. It's not just scavenger hunts anymore, right? You can tell me about all the things that you do. So let's start from the beginning. Let's start with how did you get involved in scavenger hunts in Jerusalem? Okay, so um, we've been around for seven years and uh, I started just working, I was working for a tour guide soon after I made Aliyah. Um, my background is in Jewish education and curriculum development. And he asked me to write an activity that I would run with his uh, participants after they finished all of his routes. So the first scavenger hunt was born. That was the Nachlaot scavenger hunt. Uh, many people have heard of the old city scavenger hunt that we do, but although it's our flagship route, uh, the Nachlaot scavenger hunt is our first route ever. Um, and basically, it kind of ran from there. The scavenger hunts took off very, very quickly. Um, and within months, we, we had done a lot of scavenger hunts. We had clients that wanted to come back for different routes. So we started writing more routes. And now we have more than 20 routes. We've had more than uh, 1,700 people that have participated in the scavenger hunts. Wow, that's incredible. I can see, you know, from requests that come in through Fun in Jerusalem, that scavenger hunts are the number one requested activity that comes in. But what would you say to someone who's done the Old City scavenger hunt or done the Nachlaot one, what would be the next one you'd recommend? Um, well, there's so many amazing choices to recommend. Um, if you want to stay in Jerusalem, I would recommend the Shuk Dash, uh, which is kind of like an amazing race in the Shuk. We now, we just launched our, our app, Shuk Dash Game, um, and it is just phenomenal. You have tablets, you're running around, uh, finding pictures, posing with uh, 
with fish, trying to sell, you know, whatever it is, haggling, exchanging things, and it's loads and loads of fun, and does, it's super competitive. Does it require understanding or speaking Hebrew, or can you play the game if you can only speak English? You can completely play the game if you only speak English. We we don't do it on um, Thursdays and Fridays when the shook is just too busy, and it's not really fair um, to add that kind of pressure onto the vendors. We're very, very aware of, of the vendors and their needs to to be busy in the shook. So we do this Sunday through Wednesday, even Thursday morning, and it's a fabulous option. So actually, that brings me to my next question. There has been a serious revival of the shook. It's something that I've noticed in terms of the amount of nightlife that's at the shook, the number of people who want to go through the shook on their tours here. Um, tell us a little bit about what it's like at night and how Izoska Ventures is involved in that life at the Shuk. So scavenger hunts, um, or the Shuk, is phenomenal. It's got its own set of uh, life um, at night that's completely different from its day life. Um, we always tell people that uh, during the day, when you go into the Shuk, you're kind of overwhelmed by choice. Um, and at night, what happens is when the vendors pull down the shutters, hundreds of pictures, portraits of amazing people come out. They're painted onto the shutters. And these are people that have had to make choices in their lives that have made them famous or leaders or important to us in any way. And we have a scavenger hunt of the portraits in the Shook. The portraits were, were done by um, a guy, a young British ole called Solomon Suisa, um, of famous people, ordinary people, uh, workers in the Shook, and we have a scavenger hunt to find the people, find the psukim uh, that are alluded to, um, and engage with the story of the people in the portraits. I kind of always think about uh, Harry Potter when the, the portraits can talk and they have stories to, to tell as well, so I kind of see it uh, as... as you know, playing a little Harry Potter game. But that's the, the Shook Portrait uh, scavenger hunt. That's fabulous because people I know are always looking for night activities to do with their kids or to do even just adults. It's a great birthday party idea. So that's great. Now, tell us a little bit about, you've actually expanded outside Jerusalem. You do hunts in other places. And tell us a little bit about how that works. So we have hunts um, also in Tel Aviv. We have two over there, in Neveit Sedek and in Old Jaffa. They're fabulous routes, amazing stories, quaint alleys, loads of character. And if you want to get to Tel Aviv and kind of expand your trip beyond Jerusalem, that is the way to learn about the people, about the neighborhood and the stories. It's very, very inspiring and meaningful and loads of fun for the family. Um, and we also have a Tzfat scavenger hunt. Uh, Jamie Geller recently did it. You can see it on, she Facebooked it live, uh, all two hours of it. So you can actually see one in action if you find her feed. Um, and that's also phenomenal. Tzfat is a phenomenal place. It's got incredible story just out of this world, just like the city. And the scavenger hunt explores all of that. And what about the uh, exciting one that I once did, the Shook Jeeping scavenger hunt? Oh, sorry. Good. Let's edit that one. <laughs> and what about the exciting hunt that I once did, the Gush Jeeping scavenger hunt? Yeah, we have a, a Jeeping scavenger hunt in Gush Etzion. 
Um, I always say Gush Etzion is the cradle of the Jewish people. Um, and I might add that Tali lives in Gush Etzion, so she really firmly believes that. Totally, absolutely. Um, and I'm really lucky to, to live there. Um, and the, the Jeep scavenger hunt is a crazy adventure where you end up jumping into uh, streams and crawling through water tunnels and climbing up towers and going on jeeps down crazy terrain. Um, and it's just a phenomenal adventure and an amazing story. Fantastic. And what about all those listeners out there who are thinking, okay, next time I come to Israel, I'm definitely booking one of these scavenger hunts. But for now, I want to bring some of that excitement to my party, to my bar mitzvah, to my family back in the States or back in England. What, what are you able to give and offer them? So we do custom scavenger hunts in Israel and also out of Israel. This weekend, we're running an amazing scavenger hunt for a bar mitzvah boy um, in L.A., uh, where we've basically taken over an office, uh, a building, um, and transferred it into Israel. Uh, we could do it with any theme. It doesn't have to be an Israel theme. It could be a, a custom theme for the bar mitzvah boy or the bar mitzvah girl or the family or whatever it is. Um, and we worked with the family um, to to custom the scavenger hunt for this party. Um, and we developed it for them, and it's going to be phenomenal. We can't wait to hear about it. It. That's so exciting. I love when we're able to bring a piece of the excitement here over to, to America. Now, one other thing, I remember seeing pictures you've posted, and I thought it was incredible. There was an engagement scavenger hunt. What was that about, and how did that come about? Was that your idea, or did someone approach you? So the engagement scavenger hunt, we, we had a, a, a young Khatan. Uh, he was actually French. Uh, from Paris, he found our website and he, he contacted us and told us that he's, uh, he wants to propose to his girlfriend, um, but he wants to, to do it in a special way and can we do a scavenger hunt for him? So we did that. We, we wrote a, an amazing route in the old city at night, uh, chose five inspiring stations, uh, was truly romantic. Um, Where did he actually propose to her in the end? He proposed to her. He wasn't, she did the route with one of our staff, um, and he was waiting at the overview to the, the hotel. Um, and just before she reached there, um, before she reached him, a musician joined her, a violinist. And uh, she was kind of like walking down the stairs of these alleys, these arched alleys towards him with this violinist behind her and he was waiting for her and she found him that was the final station she had been getting hints and clues and presents and letters from him all along the way um, and then at the last station he he proposed he got on, on his knees offered her a ring she accepted it was beautiful our photographer was there also uh, we've got stunning pictures of it as well. That sounds fantastic. To all those listeners out there looking for something creative, obviously you now realize Tali is the person you should be emailing and see how she can help you with a creative engagement. Um, let me ask you one other question because I happen to know that you just finished off a really exciting scavenger hunt right now that ended at First Station. And I want to hear a little bit about who, who was on this hunt. 
So the scavenger hunt that we did today was for TBEX, a travel um, blogger exchange. Um, it's a huge group that comes to Israel in March of about 500 travel bloggers and photographers. And there was a pre-tour. There is a pre-tour that's going on at the moment. And we were invited to, to do a scavenger hunt for this pre-tour group. Um, we started here at the first station. Um, it went down King David Street um, and ended just underneath the, the walls of uh, King David, uh, of, uh, of Tower of David. Um, and it was crazy. It was hilarious. Um, if you look on Facebook, you'll find, or Instagram, you'll find pictures of people making uh, windmills underneath the Montefiore windmill. You'll take, find pictures of people dressing up as celebs by the King David Hotel, rapping in the North African Heritage Center. Um, phenomenal. phenomenal. Sounds fabulous. And that was actually probably a bit of a challenge because here you had travel bloggers who had never been to Israel didn't necessarily know about Israeli history or Jewish history, and you had to engage them. So it sounds like it was a big success. And Tali, just before we end, tell me, what what can we look forward to in the future? I mean, you are just constantly creating new products, new ideas. What would be something we should look out for? Um, we're incorporating new technology into the hunts all the time, uh, the Shook Dash. Uh, I just said, just went digital. The other routes are going to go digital very soon as well. New cities um, and, uh, and new custom routes all over Israel and all over the world. All right. Thank you very much, Tali. This was really exciting. And uh, I'm sure the visitors, you'll start hearing from them as they're planning their next trips to Jerusalem. Now back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Joanna. And thank you, Tali. That scavenger hunt in the, in the Shook. At night, just seems like such a cool idea, something that, I mean, I'm, I'd totally be interested in. So uh, definitely contact Tali Tarlow of Israel Scaventures if you're looking for some sort of scavenger on a random day or maybe an engagement idea, as she mentioned. So thank you, Joanna, for bringing Tali on to Bite Size. More coming up on Bite Size, including Leora Zamik's recap of the Chalabek that took place a few weeks ago, as well as Tova Knecht with Avi Avilo coming up later on. Here's Yavo by the Maccabees. You're tuned in to the Nachum Siegel Network. Yavo v'yigalenu g'ibane ha-mikdash Ir zion t'imale v'sham nashir shichadash u'v'yirdana nale
Sweet. 
Welcome back to Bite Size here on the Nachum Seal Network. Leora Zamek now joins the show. She was at a challah bake run by Kids of Courage just the Thursday, I believe it was, before the Shabbos project, and she heard from a few people there that spoke. So uh, I'm going to hand the mic over to Leora, who talks about her experience there. Good morning. As some of you may know, I've been involved with an organization called Kids of Courage for a little while now. Um, you've heard some interviews, you've heard about a chalabik that I've been to, and now I'd like to tell you about one of my friends, Rachili. Um, I've known Rachili and her family for a little while now, and I had the privilege of hearing her speak about how Kids of Courage has affected her life and how really just being attentive to somebody's needs can change the way that your life is being lived. Um, she spoke um, a little while ago as sort of a fundraiser for the marathon that they're doing. A lot of people know about the different marathons. Um, I think Yachad has one, Hask has one, Camp Simcha has one, or High Lifeline, rather. Um, Friendship Circle, there are so many of them. And I've been hearing a lot about the Kids of Courage Marathon, which is called Race for Courage, which does um, something that a few other organizations do as well, which it brings campers along with... Um, the people running and campers uh, partake as well. And Rachili said that she had been, she I think has done it in the past and she's looking forward to once again being able to cross the finish line and knowing myself having finished one half marathon, two 10 Ks, and I am doing another half marathon this year as well. It's really exhilarating when you cross that finish line. All the people standing there, everybody, you just see the overwhelming support that people have. And um, what Rachili is mainly asking for in her speech is support for Kids of Courage. But really, you can take that meaning and spread it um, to other places as well. Really, that go the extra mile to help somebody. If they, you see they're having a hard day, if you see they're having a hard time, just see what else we can do for somebody to make their lives a little bit easier. Some people, you know, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You don't know really how people are feeling because we can't read other people's minds. And the way Rachili explains how her life has been and how Kids of Courage swooped in and really took her off her feet and helps her think about only the good days rather than the bad days really shows us the little happiness in life that even if it's hard to find, it's definitely there. And we really just have to look for it. Um, She found it through Kids of Courage. We can really find it in any place that if we look hard enough. So if you are having one of those days, if you do see somebody else having one of those days, um, or you really just want to help, try and make somebody's happiness. Try and be there for that person because you never know how much of a difference your little step can make. Um, The same way she will be crossing the finish line, you never know. All those steps through a marathon, all those times that somebody needs your help, you really can help and you really can make a difference. Hi, um, my name is Rachel Hertzfeld. And I'm 16 years old, and I have been in Kids of Courage for the past six years. And it is, um, you know, every year that I'm in Kids of Courage and I go on a summer trip or I go on an event or a Shabbaton, it just reminds me of the tremendous achtas that we have as a Jewish nation, that everyone is forming together and helping out who um, people of the community, um, children and teenagers and even young adults who, um, who really don't get um, valued enough. And it is very important to me because, obviously, because I'm a recipient of um, 
of all of these amazing um, qualities that um, that all the counselors and speeches who um, and people who volunteer um, possess. Um, I don't really know where to begin with um, with speaking about this organization, but um, I remember um, something that one of my best friends told me, who I actually only got from being on Courage, um, that when we're first born, like this is a midrash, obviously, but um, when we're first born, um, we get a malach who tells us everything that's going to happen in our life, good and bad. And we, we hear all this and we decide whether we want to live in this world and um, overcome the challenges, and even though they're going to be bad, or if, or if we don't want to come into this world. And so that kind of gives me a better perspective about my life when I look at it that way, because, you know, people love to pity themselves, and people love to say, oh, this horrible thing happened to me, everyone should have pity on me, um, but no one actually ever looks at themselves and say and says to themselves, oh, well, my situation is a blessing because it, it put me where I am, it gave me the experiences I had, and it let me meet the people that I did. And no one ever thinks to themselves, oh, well, if I have this, then there must be somebody in the world who has it ten times worse. And just because somebody is not in a wheelchair and um, can walk around and be independent doesn't necessarily mean that they are better off in that, in that circumstance. Um, since I was six years old, I um, had this neuromuscular condition. And it wasn't so bad when I was younger. And, you know, I actually thought it was kind of cool because, like, my, my mom said to me, oh, you have a, dis- a dis- well, she disability. She said, you have a disease. I said, oh, I have a disease? That's cool. Now I get all the attention. Um, but, you know, as I got older and as it progressed, and especially progressed in my family, I didn't really think it was so cool to have all this special accommodations and to be looked at differently and to be stared at and to be um and to be treated differently um I stopped I started using a wheelchair after my surgery in seventh grade and my surgeon was a little dishonest with me because he said that the recovery would be very short and that I would just be able to keep walking the way I did and it actually digressed my walking and that was disappointing obviously because when you I feel that people only realize what's good and what they want when they don't have it so somebody who wants to be rich they look at people who have a big house, a big car, and they say, I would love to be rich. 
And then they don't really take into consideration what would happen if they were rich. So, you know, someone who is in a wheelchair, you know, they they don't really, they don't really realize what's good in their life because they have such a big because they have such a big disadvantage to a lot of other opportunities that life has. And, you know, do I wish that I didn't have this illness? Yeah, I do. I wish that I could be able to do the things that I see other people doing and I see that's so great my friend is a gymnast why couldn't I do that and you know I realized more into my years of Kids of Courage that if I keep having that perspective I'm only going to be more sad and why shouldn't I be happy for my friend who you know can play sports and who can do all these accomplishments because I feel like, I am not as important. I feel, what do I do? What can I do? And, you know, I'm not really in an environment so much that um, commends me and acknowledges my hardships and therefore makes makes life um, more enjoyable. And I really, I say to myself, I don't deserve it. And... You know, I, in middle school, I didn't really dive in so much. And, you know, in high school, I didn't dive in. Like, um, my mom got me excused from morning davening because she told the principal that it's better if I sleep longer. And because then I will, you know, be better functioning in my classes. And so I didn't dive in. And I thought, okay, you know, what's what's gonna be good if I dive in because this already is my life and nothing drastic is gonna is gonna change if just if I dive in. And this Rosh Hashanah I I I spoke to somebody before Rosh Hashanah and she said to me if you look at everything in your life as a competition, then you're not going to get anywhere. So if I so if I were to compare myself to other people and say, this person is so far ahead of me in what I want to do, because I don't know what what my values would be if I didn't have this disability and I I know that I know who I am inside I know that I'm confident and that I'm bold and that I'm creative and talented but I'm too insecure because of my disability to really portray that image and so I come across to people as kind of shy and insecure and I always tell my friends at school um she doesn't like me she is judging me um 
people don't include me. Um, this, um, my guidance counselors um, showed a video to my grade about someone with a disability um, who was talking about inclusion. And I told her afterwards that that made me upset because I found it ironic that people after the video are making comments about how a disability doesn't make you different and how people should always be inclusive while they weren't, you know, really um, true to their words. Um, I, I have started to look at my life a little bit more positively. And I like when I daven now. You know, before, when I was younger, I don't think I really appreciated the sentiment of davening because, you know, this illness, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. And then I don't know what's going to happen after that. And it makes me sad. I could walk on my own in middle school and then high school because I was embarrassed of how I walk. I didn't want to let anyone see. So I put myself in a scooter, and now I don't even feel confident that I can walk around the school. But whenever I, I think about myself like that, I try, to, I try to extract myself from the environment that I'm in, which is not always the most encouraging and uplifting um, environment for someone with a disability who wants to um, do better. I... I really don't have anywhere to turn. And when I'm on Kids of Courage, it really is like I'm on another planet. Because, you know, I can see, um, you know, if I get out of a car and with my new um, handicapped van, when I get out of a car... Um, I see, I can see people staring and, you know, I, I miss the way that I was because that is how I look at myself as the best part of myself when I was happy and positive, you know, at my bat mitzvah, people wrote all over my sign-in book. You're always so happy. You always have such a great smile. You're always positive. You're never crying. And I wouldn't say that that's still true. And what I really gain from Kids of Courage is another perspective, you know, a do-over. Like, if I can't be encouraged by the people around me, then I'm then I can just, you know, say my plan and say what I want to do. And it's not crazy. It's not so ridiculous to someone on Kids of Courage um, that I would want to drive a car or that I would want to go to seminary. And I feel like this is an organization that facilitates not letting something confine you and you know when people tell me oh everyone has struggles I say okay but nobody 
judges you or doesn't invite you to their house for a late night because you have trouble in math. So I I have also learned on Kids of Courage that not everything is about me, but that there are harder harder situations that exist and I I try to be thankful that I'm not in those situations. I I have a friend who I just recently discovered um, has a brain tumor, and I didn't know that he had a brain tumor, and I was really upset. And I and I know that there's nothing I can do to change it, but at least I can have a better you know attitude in life. You know, I'm in eleventh grade and. Everyone in my class is always crying and complaining and saying that their life is going to be over about schoolwork. And I just say to myself, you know, I'm, I have a mature perspective, obviously, and nobody should have to be as mature as I am. But, you know, that's really not what life is about. So, you know, life is about, um, I, I believe that Hashem chose us for a reason, and that every challenge is a test. And if we overcome that, then it just shows how, how great we are. So, and so, you know, I'm not saying that if somebody gets hit by a car and then becomes paralyzed, that, that they should think, Oh, Hashem loves me so much because he made me get hit by a car. But I'm saying that nothing is going to be as bad as you perceive it because you are alive. You are breathing. If you, can't, if you can't walk, you can see. If you can't see, you can hear. If you can't hear, you can eat. Like, n- nothing, everything has... It's strings, and everything has, uh, and everybody in life has a breaking point. But, um, but that breaking point can sometimes be the point where you don't believe anymore. And because of courage comes in to strengthen your belief, but not only that, to to give you the belief. You know, someone who is is colorblind or blind, you can't explain what a color is to them. There's no definition for a color. I mean, there's no way to experience um, um, joy or or have or have the opportunities that because of courage provides. So it's it's so unknown to us that that we are just elated with joy whenever we have an opportunity and I I know that counselors and staff of Kids of Courage have have their lives you know they're they're not going to be planning events and trips and Shabbatones and every day or every month but it's really it's the oxygen and 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 you know in a restricted life it's basically where I 
get to have wings and I can fly and, you know, no one can tell me, you know, that I have to brace something or, you know, I can let my emotions out. I can, I can be immature. Um, I don't have to hold it all in because that's, that's unhealthy and I have to hold in a lot of my anger and a lot of my, um, frustrations because people around me don't understand. But um, in, in an environment like Kids of Courage, I can, I can be with people who understand. And so they try to do everything in their power to make things possible for me. And I, I, I wouldn't be able to, to go on or, or really, I, I, you know, some, the most amazing things in my life have happened to me because of Kids of Courage, and I met and I met the most amazing people um, that that I've ever met because of Kids of Courage. So you know when when someone when someone complains about something that's really not such a big deal, um, it bothers me because you know you should never complain uh, as long as you have. Uh, you know, as long as you have a house, as long as you have a family, as long as you are healthy, or or any of those, you should you you, you should just be thankful. And the point about this um, is race for courage. And you, and the, the, what I'm what I'm trying to say is that when people when you ask someone to. Um, if they want to run with um, with race for courage in a marathon, um, and they say, "Oh, I can't do a marathon. It's impossible. I can't do it." Um, it's really, you know, it like you should you should think to yourself, "Oh, well, this organization is so amazing. It provides opportunity and it gives strength and to um, to people um, with disability and who are hope deprived. So you should um, so." Um, you know, try and like give it all that you have. You um, you do have the power, and you give people power. And um, and the marathon, the marathon is one of the funnest weekends that you could be on. Everyone's cheering you on. Everyone, um, everyone loves to see the campers do it. It's it's not. It's a very unique and special. Um, um, program that you that you never see any other place, and I and I can't really say more than it. It provides a haven for for people who just feel lost in this world, and that there's nothing else that they have to show for it. Kids of Courage is the reason why people um fight and why people um persevere and it's it, it's up to you to um to acknowledge that you are Jew that you um that you can make a difference and this organization is really so amazing and I'm so thankful for it every day of my life and I and I really hope that people will donate a lot because you know um the summer trip is only a week i wish there were more um maybe if kids of courage had more money 
it could it could be more. I don't know. But um but really, um, you know, don't keep your head in the clouds. It's it's um you you should always be thinking about something that can about something that you can do to make a difference and something that um that you and somebody that you can um really support because you don't know how um how it affects them. I, I happen to be very um um to be very influential but I'm I'm also very um fragile so like what people say really affects me. But um like I really get lifted up by by anyone who shows me I'm important and I I really um encourage you to um to have the courage to make a donation and to um, get involved, or just um, or just really be be more aware of of your um, surroundings. And um, thank, thank you. Thank you, Lee. All right, Kids of Courage again is such a wonderful organization. That was a challah that Lior was talking about just a few weeks ago, run by them. Uh, for more information on Kids of Courage, go to kidsoc.org. Again, kidsoc. Dot org for more about Kids of Courage. More coming up on Bite Size, including Tova Knaf's interview with Avi Avalo. But for now, here's Levin Yamin by Avram Freed. Let me know 
Yeshiva Boys Choir's Ata Kidasha. Now up on Bite Size is Tova Kanecht. She interviewed Avi Abelo. And if I have this uh, remembered correctly, Avi was on air with Nachum on JM and the AM. I believe it was in February on Rechov Dizengaf in Tel Aviv uh, when we were there this past February. So we'll see what Avi has to say now with his interview with Tova Kanecht right here on Bite Sized. You're tuned in to the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm sitting here in Merkaz Ha'ir in Yerushalayim with Avi Abelo of the Israel Video Network. Welcome, Avi, to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Tova. Of course. You are such an integral person in Israel, bringing Israel into such a positive spotlight. It must have come from somewhere. You must have had this passion planted in you from a young age. Wow. That's uh, First of all, I, it's quite an honor to be called an integral part of Israel. Uh, thank you very much for saying that. Of course. I think I'm a tiny little cod just trying to make a little a big difference as much as possible. But yeah, the passion the passion does come from a young age. It does. From uh, my parents turned me on to Israel as a young kid. Um, I, I, let's put it this way. The story goes like this. I think I was in fourth grade in Manhattan Day School. I lived in Manhattan as a kid. I think Nahum Siegel has some uh, connection to Manhattan Day School. What, does he have kids who go there or I, went there? I think so. It could be. Well, I remember Nahum Siegel as a high school kid when he was a student of my father's, so that's how long it goes. I go back with Nahum. Oh, wow. But um, so I was fourth grade at Manhattan Day School, and I had a homework assignment. And the only reason I know about this is because it was after I was in the army here in Israel, I was rummaging through my parents' um, basement, going through boxes for whatever reason, and I came upon these papers that my mother kept, including this fourth grade homework assignment. What was it? It asked us for us to list our three dreams in life. At fourth grade, well, 10 years old I was at the time. What were my three dreams? Dream number one, to make Aliyah to Israel. Wow. Dream number two to serve in the IDF and defend the Jewish people. Unbelievable. Dream number three, to make a lot of money so I can give a lot of tzedakah. (laughs) 
So I can honestly <laughs> say as I approach my 43rd birthday, I have succeeded in the first two. <laughs> I am still working on the third. <laughs> it should also come to fruition. But regardless, I definitely feel uh, very, very, very blessed that one, as a kid, those were my dreams. And two, that I was lucky and blessed enough to fulfill them. But it came from the values that my parents instilled in, in me as a kid uh, about the integral part of being part of the Jewish people, visiting Israel whenever we could, which wasn't so much, but considering once every few years. And um, yeah, that instilled me the, the passion for, for the Jewish people and for the land of Israel. Wow, that's really cool to your parents. So how do you accomplish bringing Israel into a positive spotlight? What do you do to do that? Well, first of all, it's so nice. It's it's like a compliment hearing from you how I bring positivity because that's what you're all about. Tova Connect, Tova in Israel is all about the positive of Israel since you made Aliyah. So to <laughs> be you. in your company is a, is a huge compliment. That's very sweet of you. Um, <laughs> but how do we do it? Basically, it's I'm a big believer in the in the message of Rav Kook of Makadesh Lachol. Right, everything out there in the world is not necessarily holy or secular, but Hakadosh Baruch Hu put it there, and it's up to us how we use it to give it its holiness or not. So the same thing dealing with the internet and social media. We could be on there wasting our time, or using it to do bad, or using it for lashon hara, or using it to for whatever, or. We could be maximizing our time on the internet and social media to be inspired and to be doing good things for Am Yisrael and doing good things for Eretz Yisrael. So that's basically what we do. Um, IsraelVideoNetwork.com is part of our company, 12 Tribe Films, and we're constantly promoting videos about Israel, helping people connect with Israel, be more educated, be more confident in understanding what's going on with the Jewish people on the land of Israel and the state of Israel today. And it's using Facebook and it's using Instagram and it's using Snapchat and everything and anything that's out there to give it holiness. So when people are on the internet, they're at least using it to feel a better connection to Jewish people in the land of Israel and be inspired as well. So you're saying that there are obstacles in the world right now that are showing Israel in a negative light. You know, Chaval, that they're not, we're not, everyone isn't seeing Israel's truth and beauty and positivity. So what can we as an individual and maybe as a nation um, do? to help, you know, inspire? Great question. I'm a huge believer that the most important thing anyone can do, and especially if you're a parent, what you can do for your kids, is educate them. So many of us, whether we are just um, uh, passive in our support of Israel, or... We're not even passive. We're just, we're, we're just media. In, we, we just listen to what's being said in the media on a daily basis about Israel. We're not getting the full picture. And we're doing a disservice to ourselves and to our children in not giving them a real education of Jewish history, of Israeli history, of the full complexity of what's going on today. Because I'm a huge believer that today Israel is a wedge issue that is that is hurting individuals' confidence and identity as Jewish people. Our kids, no matter how from or not, and it includes the from kids, are being attacked on, Jew on college campuses across North America. And if they do not have the knowledge 
they are very easily swept into the anti-Israel camp. And we're talking even our own Orthodox kids who spent a year or two or more in Israel. Right. The, 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 the veracity and the strength of the anti-Israel camp that is sweeping college campuses, it is so strong. And it's usually using the social justice messages and the tikkun olam messages that ke'ilu come from the Torah. But so many of our kids do not have the basic knowledge of Jewish history, that our story is 3,000 years old and not just 68 years old, that many of the narratives being put out there by our enemies and even fellow Jews are wrong and they're lies and out of context. And if we don't educate ourselves and our kids, then we don't know what to say at the Shabbos table when the latest news comes up and our own friends and relatives at the Shabbos table are attacking Israel. So I'm really, the main, main message, educate, educate, educate about Jewish history, Israel history, current events, because that has to do, it's not just about Israel, it's standing up for yourself and your own Jewish identity. Wow, that is very powerful. Um, Abby, this past year, you launched something called the Israel Video Network Contest. Yes. And I personally think it was tremendously successful, but who am I to <laughs> say so? But on Facebook, the videos were being shared consistently. Um, what do you think the impact of that uh, contest had on the world? Wow. Well, well, great question. It was a huge success, and we are blessed that we were able to launch that. Please, God, we will be doing it again. Yeah, I was just going to ask Please you. Please, God, we'll be doing it again. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to take the world by storm again when everyone's Facebook feeds is going to be pouring with unbelievable Israel videos. There's so much talent so, out there also. And there's so much talent out there. And that, yeah, that was one of my goals with setting up this company. I'm not the movie person. I fell into this. Hakadosh Baruch threw me into this because I made a movie, even though I'm an organizational psychologist without any background in <laughs> movies or marketing or anything. You'd never know. And so, but I'm here to 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 be a tool to help all the others who have the talent and get them out there and inspire them and give them use our tools to help get their messages out there with their creative talents and making movies for sure. Um, listen, we had videos made by people in Finland and the Finlands, and, sorry, Finland and the Philippines wow. and Australia. People from all over the world make these videos. Uh, I, I think it was a, a, a Chinese or Korean girl who was living in, in an Arab country made, made one of the videos about ways and how inspired she is about Israel because of our ingenuity and inventiveness. That's incredible. The, and, so there is the level of impact it had on Jews in their Jewish pride and pride in Israel and seeing these unbelievable videos, but it for sure had such an impact on so many non-Jews all over the world. I'm telling you, this guy who made the video in the Philippines, I'm sure every single person in the Philippines saw that video. It was even on the news in the Philippines that he made it into the finals of the contest. Wow. And he was at all sorts of events screening this video that he made about how unbelievable Israel is and how much he and his friends love Israel. So it made a huge, huge impact, and we're looking forward to doing that again. And as, as long as we can, as long as we're able to, and we get the support to make it happen. Wow. Okay, so you mentioned before that Israel was always in your life. So what's your Aliyah story? When did you move hmm. to Israel? My Aliyah story. So I'm one of these people, I, well, everyone has their own story. I made Aliyah twice, not once. Oh. So that first makes it interesting. Um, 
like you said, one, my dream was always that I was wanted to make Aliyah, and two, my parents always planted in our heads that one day we, one day we did. But I could say they were normal North American, modern Orthodox parents, that even though they said it, it wasn't anything practical. It was just something, yeah, it's a dream. one day we're going to do it, but it never happens. But I want to give my parents credit where credit is due. They, my, parent, my parents came to a stage in their life where they were looking for the next thing to do. And my father said, you know what? Let's do it. Let's go to Israel. Let's make it. We'll go for a year, check it out, see how it works, and hopefully we'll stay there. And I was uh, graduate. It was a graduating eleventh grade at the time, okay. and my parents got off. Uh, they were actually here in Israel on a trip with the senior class. And my father was the principal. He took the senior class to, to Poland, then to Israel. Him and, and my mother got off the bus as they were returning from the senior class trip. And I was a junior at the time in high school. In that high school. And um, I looked at their faces. They said, we have something to say. I said, we're making Aliyah. And they said, yes, how'd you figure that out? And let's put it this way. I was ecstatic. My siblings were not so ecstatic. They were, was, young, they were oh, younger? They are younger than me. Uh-huh. I'm the oldest. Um, but uh, I was ecstatic. I was an 11th grader, very idealistic, very Zionistic. And um, I just had come from March of the Living as well. Yeah. So uh, actually, no, I went on March of the Living after that. When I was on March Living, I knew I was coming back to Israel making Aliyah just two months later. That was, that was an unbelievable experience. But I was very idealistic, and I knew I wanted to be in Israel. I knew the future of the Jewish people is in Israel. Um, so I came. I, instead of going to 12th grade, I went to early admissions to yeshiva already. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a 16-year-old with a 24-year-old Chavrusa who was... <laughs> I think he might be one of the next people to be the chief rabbi of England. Wow. Meaning there just is a new one, but I'm already saying it. He's one uh, of the up-and-coming rabbis in England. That's incredible. That he could be one of the next ones. So, yeah, I was Chavrusa with him. I was 16. He was 24. And he got engaged that year. I just came from high school, 11th grade. 11th grade is not really acting appropriately. We don't have to go into um, okay. details. But that was one of the reasons I wanted to run away from America. Like, I wanted to get away from that and go to go to Israel, a better environment. Mm-hmm. Um... So yeah, that was that was unbelievable. And then I went to Hezder, and mm-hmm. I served in the army. Served in the army. I was going to ask you about that soon. Yeah. And um, when I finished, when I was ending Hezder, I finished my army. I was my last year of yeshiva. I met my wife Rachel. Uh, Rachel uh, Shear is her maiden name from Riverdale. Mm-hmm. Hi, Abba and Judy and the whole Shear family, or Abel family, Teaneck, New Jersey, Riverdale, Take advantage Manhattan, of Manhattan, wherever you are. Uh, love you all. Thanks for listening. Look forward to having you here as well with us. That was where we're always God pushing willing. everyone to make Aliyah. Of course. Always, always. That's, they will. That's they will. the point of this. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I met her, and we were, uh, I was already applying to Bar Ilan to go to Bar Ilan University. She was in the middle of graduate school in New York. We met while she was on uh, um, a two-week vacation in Israel. And both of us were not that interested in meeting each other because I wasn't interested in going to America. And she wanted to make Aliyah, one of those regular uh-huh. modern Orthodox girls. Yeah, one day I want to make Aliyah, but who depends who you, basically. Uh-huh. But she, was, she wasn't ready to come to Israel at the time. But a very, very close friend of ours um, uh, put us together, made a shift between us. And she basically said, listen, go out. You'll see what happens. If it's, nothing happens, there's nothing. If you guys like each other, then you'll figure it out. So thank God we took her advice. And after that first date, I knew I was going to marry her. And wow. I think if you'd ask her, she thought I was the person she would marry as well after that first date. And basically, we made a long-distance relationship out of it. And like any good marriage, if you want your marriage to succeed, you come up with compromises. And the compromise we made is that we would live in America until she finished her education and I would finish my education since I had to start college. 
And then after five years, of, then we returned back to Israel. And five and a half years later, we were back in Israel. Wow. So after I finished my, she was finished with school and I finished my graduate degree, uh, we came back just on time according to our plan. So the most important lesson I want to give all of you out there, all of you, whether you're married, you're single, first of all, make a plan. That doesn't mean the plan's not, it's going to happen exactly as you make it. But make the plan. If Aliyah is important to you, make that five-year plan or three-year plan. You might have to adjust it, but at least have that plan. You have a goal. And you have a goal to look forward to. You have a goal to plan. If you have to make adjustments, you make adjustments. But that's much better than not having that plan at all. If you don't have a plan at all, it's never going to happen. But you have the plan. It might take a little longer. It might go exactly as you planned it. Not always. But at least you have something to look forward to and to plan towards. That's the best advice I can give to anyone who seriously, seriously, seriously wants to make Aliyah, but they're not able to just yet because of whatever situation. That's incredible advice. So did you move directly to Gush Etzion or Yes, we moved directly to Gush Etzion. What is life like there? Um, Gush Etzion's fabulous. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. Um, one, it's interesting. I worked in Tel Aviv for five and a half years. I used to travel from my front to Tel Aviv every day. And many people in Tel Aviv, they're more leftist than I am. And many of them wouldn't, wouldn't even step foot visiting where, where I live in Judea and Samaria. And they would be asking me, why do you live there? Da, 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 da. I, and again, I, I'm, a, I'm an ideological guy, but I'm also, I know how to talk to people. I said, listen, put ideology aside. I live there for the weather. The weather is awesome. You have a winter when it's winter. You have a summer when it's summer. How do you live in Tel Aviv where it's summer all year long and it's hot and there's no winter? I can't stand that. So the weather is unbelievable. You get snow every once in a while. You get the history. Listen, from my porch, I look at Derech Avot. I am mamish looking where, at the path that Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov walked. It's right in front of me. I get to go out, sign on my porch, and tell my kids, kids, the Torah happened here. It's not a storybook. It's not some pie-in-the-sky story. It happened here. It's our lives from our past and it's our lives in our present, and you're making it part of our future. It's not just something you learn in school. Torah is part of our life, and I get to show my kids it's right in front of us. So for the historical reasons, for the ideological reasons, I believe you, Dan Shamron, were saving Am Yisrael by living there and being part of the fight against the whole irrational anti-Israel movement that's with the with, with the radical Islam today. We are on the forefront of defending the free world by living you, Dan Shamron, and defending Israel. And the weather. So that's why I live there. And, and life is awesome. Great people, great communities. You have everything. And if you are interested in investing in real estate, folks, if you think Gush Etzion is big today because it's so much bigger than it was, it is going to be booming. 15, 15 20 years, Gush Etzion can be a huge metropolis. So if you're interested in investing or finding something now to buy and live in when you do make Aliyah, even your five-year plan that you're making today, Gush Etzion is a great place to think about. Wow, what is the chutz for you and Am Yisrael to have Gush Etzion to live in? Unbelievable. So you mentioned the army service and Miloim. I know just from following Facebook. you from Facebook, from Snapchat, you, right. you were just in Miloim. Right. Can you explain what it's like for a married man, father, to leave his family and go to Miloim to protect his country? Yes, and I can answer that from a couple of different directions. I can answer it from the husband's perspective who cares about the wife. And it's not easy because all of a sudden you disappear um, and you leave your wife and children behind and it all falls on the, whole, the shoulders of, of your wife for whatever amount of time. So that's not easy. Uh, on the other hand, I'm very blessed. I used to be in a unit that was up north, so you really used to disappear for weeks at end. 
Uh, today I'm in a local unit, so I'm only away for a few days at a time, and I come by between shifts or for a night and kiss the kids in bed or, or come in the morning and help out or fall asleep after an all-nighter and just sleep in my own bed. So right now I'm in a great, great unit, great place. It doesn't make me lean as hard as it could be for many others. That's on the family level. Um, but on the ideological level, I'm, as you can tell, part of my being is feeling appreciation and feeling blessed. And part of that appreciation and feeling blessed is that we live in a generation where we have our own sovereign country once again after 2,000 years of not, and having our own army to defend ourselves. I'm a huge believer of learning Jewish history as well, and knowing that all of Jewish history is filled of being in the exile and being persecuted in this country or that country, Europe, Middle East, everywhere. We're always at the whims of other, our host nations. And finally, 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 we live in a generation where it might not be easy and it might be dangerous. There might be terrorists still every once in a while, but Israel is the only country where we can stand up and defend ourselves and we're not at the whims of anyone else. And we're not just waiting for someone else to help us or protect us. We can finally protect ourselves. And it, it, I feel blessed to be able to take part in that. I pray for the day where we don't need an army anymore and my kids don't have to go to the army. But I'm pretty much a realist. And as a, real, as a realist, as of today, we still need an army. My kids will probably still go to the army. And the message that I educate them on is so long as we need to protect ourselves. We will. We will. And it is a, we have to feel blessed that we live in a generation where we're able to, as opposed to our grandparents, great-grandparents, etc., etc., that did not have that blessing and would not have that situation of being in our homeland to be able to protect themselves. We're really lucky. Okay, so the next question I'm going to end off with, it might be a hard question for you to answer. What is your Israel happy place? The reason I think it's hard is probably because you would say everywhere in Israel is my happy place. But do you have one specific place that... You're referring to location, like a real location? A location, a feeling. All right, so I'm going to answer you in a different way. Okay. And I think you knew that I was probably going to give you a different <laughs> answer. Besides saying every place. I had a feeling. And, and this is a happy place that is, that is applicable to everyone. Jewish, non-Jewish, no matter where you live in the world. My happy place is appreciation. Holding on to a feeling of appreciation at every moment of the day makes me a happier person, makes me a more fulfilled person, makes me a person able to do more for my family, my community, for Am Yisrael, for Eretz Yisrael. And that is something that I don't think we educate our children enough. And I'll tie this into to tefillah. We're all educated to daven. We're all educated to do to, to say brachot all the time. And for many of us in the FFB world, it's all rote. How many of us are truly having kavana? We're not supposed to have kavana because HaKadosh Baruch Hu told us in the Torah to have kavana. We're supposed to have kavana because the only way we actually fulfill and maximize the essence of tefillah or brachot is by having kavana, even for the smallest bracha out there, because it's supposed to instill in us that feeling of appreciation and humility. And if a person does not have that appreciation and humility, he is missing out on so much in life, no matter how successful he is and no matter how good he thinks life is going for him. So that happy place for me is trying to hold on as much as possible every second of the day 
on appreciation and humility, which I believe is the essence of what a lot of Yehadut is all about, especially tefillah and the brachot. Wow. Avi, I am truly inspired, as I'm sure the entire audience is right now. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking about Israel positivity and life here. And uh, thanks for being here. Well, Tova, uh, thank you. And I think everyone who is following you everywhere is just as inspired daily by everything you're doing. May HaKadosh Baruch continue giving you oh. the kochot and, uh, and everything to continue being an inspiration for yourself, for your kids, and everyone else who's following you and is just waiting every second. What is Tova doing now? Where is she shopping now? Who is she talking to now? What great project is she talking about now? So, we'll keep on giving you those kachot as well. Thank you. I mean, thank you. Thank you, Yoni. Back to you. Thank you, Tova, and thank you, Avi, for those wonderful words on Israel. Tova Knecht, again, a regular contributor here on Bite Sized. You can follow her on Facebook, Tova in Israel, or tovainisrael.com, as she continues to spread all the wonderful, exciting things going on in Israel, and just what a beautiful uh, way of life, and how you could live your life in such a positive way while living in Israel. More coming up on Bite Size, including this week's Four to the Door. Last week it was Venice-inspired, because we were heading to Venice, literally, as the day uh, the day we recorded was the day we were leaving to Venice, and uh, we came back from Venice yesterday. Now I'm back in studio, and uh, it's 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 sure to be another Venice-inspired for the door, but I won't tell you yet what it is going to be, so make sure you come back for that as we wrap up this week's show. More coming up on Bite Size. You're tuned in to the Nakam Seagull Network. Oh
להגיד תודה על כל דקה, כי לא ברור שתתעורר. תגיד תודה, זאת לא בושה, או שתגיד ברוך השם. אז תגיד ברוך השם על That was Baruch Hashem by Itzik Dadia. Itzik was one of the performers at this past Saturday night's Malava Malka that the Nakam Segal Network presented to the Jewish community in Venice uh, this past Saturday night, as I mentioned. And uh, that trip was truly, uh, if, you had one, if I had one word really to describe the trip, I mean, incredible. Just, just absolutely incredible words I, i i can't even think of the words to describe it i remember the the moment that we landed to to i mean really right even right now just that, that whole trip amazing absolutely amazing and with that that gets us to this week's four to the door as i mentioned earlier four to the door this week just like last week is going to be venice themes last time we 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 uh made it sort of food themed this week we're just going to talk about the venice trip in general so this week's four to the door is top four Venice experiences, and as usual, I do the four to the door segment with Jamie Turkel, our assistant programming director and social media coordinator for the Nahum Siegel Network, and um, so she has devised her list, I devised my list, and almost impossible to keep it to four, but nonetheless, that's the way the show works, and that's the way the segment works, so we follow the rules. So number four on Jamie's top four to the door, top four Venice moments. was living in the ghetto for a week. Uh, for those of you that haven't been there, the Jewish ghetto is really a, uh, a courtyard with, I think it was three bridges to go in or out, and uh, to experience that for a whole week was incredible. So uh, that's number four on Jamie's list. Number three was the Malava Malka Saturday night. Again, Itzik Dadia, Daniela Haviel, Sosnar on the, on the, on the uh, keyboard, emceed by Nachum, of course, David Fadida producing it, so uh, a good choice there on number three, you can check that out on NachumSeal.com and on our YouTube page, and uh, definitely go ahead and do that. Number two on Jamie's list is the late night trip to Rialto Bridge, um, myself, Jamie and her husband, Miriam and her husband, we went out to, uh, what's, I'm like, I'm, I'm like so confused about the days, so I guess Monday night, I think it was, because we left Tuesday, right, so Monday night, we, uh, After all was said and done, we went out to uh, to the Rialto Bridge, one of the one of the more popular destinations of tourists there in Venice, um, and checked it out at night. Really a spectacular scene. And number one on Jamie's top four to the door, top four Venice experiences was Shabbos Zmiros. Um, I'll delve into that a little bit later since that will appear on my list. So that's a good top four. Um, here we go with mine. Yoni Pollock's top four to the door, top four Venice experiences, number four. was the, uh, really all the excursions we kind of went on, not necessarily as part of the, the schedule 
um, per se in terms of programming, but uh, over Shabbos, a few of us had a chance to go explore Venice, and uh, as, as Jamie mentioned, which was number two on our list, the, the late night trip to the Rialto Bridge in San Marco Square, uh, which I actually frequented both that day and night. All those excur- excursions really to kind of explore Venice um, to see what the city is all about, that was uh, really a, uh, a really fun and, and just, just cool all-out time. Number three on my top four to the door top four Venice experiences was the the water taxi from the airport to Venice. Um, I really had no expectations coming to Venice. I know, obviously, many people love Venice, and and they talked about Venice, but I kind of just came in and was like, okay, like I'm just going to experience it. I have no expectations. Let's see what happens. And, and to get to Venice, to where we were staying, you have to go on a water taxi. And just that water taxi to, the, uh, to get to the Jewish ghetto and to our hotel there, uh, it was just so cool. Like, I'm out on the water taxi, and... And I mean, most people are inside, but I, I kind of chose to, to be outside and just look out at the water and and just this world. What an incredible place. And, and I'm in Venice for work and uh, just being on that water taxi, knowing that even though like, you know, programming is going to be tough and it's going to be a long trip in terms of, you know, there's work to be put in. Um, but to do it overseas and to do it there, uh, that was really so, so cool to me. Number two on my list is uh, the Shabbos Miros. Uh, Friday night, we, we ate as a group, um, the team there that was there, the few of our guests, and then the, uh, the musical team of David, David, uh, Fadida, the producer, and Sosna, and, and, uh, Daniela Javiel, and Itzikdadia, it was just really beautiful, because, uh, actually at the, the place we ate, there were also 60 B'nai Akiva kids, um, eating in a different room, though you could hear each other, we were just in separate rooms, and we started singing, and then they sing, and, and at times we joined in together, and it was just such a just just a beautiful experience to sing the Shabbos Miros uh, together as one. After all, that's that's really what the the Jewish Unity Initiative. That's what we uh, we try to do here at the network. And number one on my top four to the door to the list, top four Venice experiences. Number one has to be the Malava Malka. Um, we 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 set up in a place that, you know, didn't necessarily hold so many people. We expected whatever the number was, but but we expected, uh, you know, 70, 80, 90 people because that's all that was set up for, and we were hoping for more. You know, there's not so many people really, not so many, unfortunately, uh, Jews out in, in Venice, um, and but instead we, we had such, I mean, there were at least over 150 to 200 people, I would say, um, that came in. The music uh, started off, with a little slower pace music, and then we got fast, and Itzik Dadia, Daniel Avial, really just, I, I promise you, they brought the house down. We had kids all ages, um, teens, younger adults, senior citizens, all there. Everyone got up, danced. Um, it was just such an incredible experience. Itzik and Avial just, just were phenomenal, just absolutely incredible. You have to go ahead. You really have to go check it out on NahumSiegel.com, on our video page, on YouTube. Look for the Malava Malka. I mean, just to be there and watch. This, this is this is the unity. I mean, just to, just to watch it. It was just what a heartwarming and and I mean, there. I, I promise you, there were people there in tears of the com- people from the community there, because something like this just was never done before in that community. So uh, go ahead and check it out. See see what I'm what I'm talking about. I promise you. Like, there's no exaggeration. Just an absolutely incredible experience. 
So uh, there's no fighting here between me and Jamie. Usually the, the top four of the door. I usually, you know, try to make fun of her list. She'll not on air because she doesn't like doing it on air. We'll make fun of my list, but um, not this week because because the Venice trip was absolutely incredible, and we wanted to share some of our experiences here on Bite Size here with the four of the door. So I hope uh, you were able to kind of live vicariously through us uh, with that four to the door. As usual, send me an email, yoni for anything four to the door related, show related suggestions, comments, criticism, good or bad. Um, I'm here for it, ready for it, and uh, would love to hear from you. That'll wrap up this week's Bite Size. Thank you to Joanna Shepson, Tova Knecht, Leora Zamek for contributing this week. As usual, I want to plug our social media because uh, Jamie Turkel would not allow me to uh, get away with not doing so. Uh, a quick note on Jamie, as she is our assistant programming director and social media coordinator. She did an absolutely phenomenal job this week in Venice. Um, if if you for some reason aren't following us on Facebook, Nachum Seagull Network, um, go ahead and do it. Look at all the videos and the pictures, and and um, I mean we'll have more up once. We'll have, I mean, we'll have more up shortly of the whole trip. Mayor Kruder of Kruder Photography joined us on the trip, and, and he has incredible pictures as well. Um, but Jamie really just had everyone plugged in from the start to finish, from takeoff to landing, um, on the water and in the shuls and, and during the shows and the Malava Malka. Check it out on Facebook, on Twitter, Nahum Single Net, Instagram, Nahum Single Network. So props to you, Jamie. That'll do it for this week's Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock, reminding you that the bite size is the right size.